Hello and welcome to Dave's Music Room. I'm David Kavlovic, once again ready to present to you some of my favorite recordings of a world-sized collection, in the sense that my collection reflects music from all over the world, a collection of music that I thoroughly enjoy and hope that you will enjoy as well. As I was preparing today's episode, when I was uh, programming it in my head, and then finally putting it down into some sort of electronic form before getting it ready for you folk to listen to, I noticed that the music that I have chosen for today, from two different albums, by the way, is very suitable for quiet reflection, especially at night and in the dark. Now, I have to tell you that I'm a nyctophile. I really love the dark. I've never been afraid of it. I've always found it soothing, comforting, cozy, a time for repose, reflection, and rest. I really do enjoy the nighttime, and I also enjoy listening to good music, say, by the fireside, although I don't have a fireplace, so not a good idea to light a fire in the house. Well, I have a gas fireplace. No, I, I correct that, but I don't like using it very much because I'm a cheapskate. But <laughs> getting back onto the topic of this, it's nice to sit, say, by a candle flame or the fireside or even in total darkness, but say with the blinds or curtains open so you can see the night sky and listen to this very reflective music. I start with a disc of keyboard works by one of the most influential keyboard composers ever in Western music, and that is the 17th century composer Girolamo Frescobaldi, whose dates are from 1583 to 1643. His music is extremely influential in the canon of Western music beyond the confines of Italy, where he rarely left. He was a child prodigy, which is, when you think about it, a bit of a rare thing at the time. So that tells you something about his own abilities. His music, as I said, was respected far and wide and well beyond his uh, years on the planet. He was also a rather prominent, powerful, influential musician in one other sense. He was the organist at St. Peter's Basilica, which meant that he had quite the connection with the ruling popes and their family at the time. So influential that Johann Sebastian Bach considered him to be a prime source for him to study his music, music of Frescobaldi. In fact, he had manuscripts of works by Frescobaldi. That influence on Bach is kind of a, a double vaccination, an interesting term to use these days, uh, in the sense that the North German school of composition, both within the Lutheran and Catholic traditions, this is very interesting, was also heavily influenced by Frescobaldi. Starting about 1615, Frescobaldi started publishing his compositions, and immediately they were extremely successful. Amongst the first publications is a book of 12 toccatas, published as book one, because there would be a book two about uh, a decade or so later, and I do believe that Frescobaldi was planning that all along. Now, this publication of toccatas is exactly what we're going to hear today, book one. It was so popular, it went through four separate reprints. 
in each case he did a little bit of tinkering to these toccatas and uh, this way he provided uh, his more recent thoughts about how uh, he should present these compositions. This is an interesting aspect of his publications because there's two ways composers published, at least until the, I would say, the 19th century. Either they collated works that they had previously composed and were ready to present them um, in a unified fashion. Therefore, quite often, concerti were published in groups of six or 12, for example. Or they were through and newly composed as examples of what could and should be done in a particular style or genre. These toccatas fall in that category. The same thing can be said for Bach's 48 Preludes and Fugues. Even though some of them may have been composed earlier, the whole uh, notion of these works is to provide not only great music to play, but music that can be used in a teaching purpose, both compositionally and for practical purposes for practicing. Toccatas are a genre of keyboard work that are supposed to show off the virtuosity of a performer as well as the composer. There's a lot of flight of fancy in a toccata, a lot of ornamentation, a lot of decoration, which is ornamentation. <laughs> really good toccatas have a, a counterpoint in their composition that demonstrates a composer's ability to unite rhythm with melody with harmony. The structure of these 12 toccata are so interesting in that none of them are alike, yet they still put across the element of um, idea combined with the, the notion of a fantasy, because in many ways, the, the style of the fantasia, which is also a compositional technique, but more prominent later on, is influenced by the, uh, the style of toccatas themselves. The whole point of these toccatas from Frescobaldi's point of view is not only something that provides a scholarly approach to what he calls a new style of music that can be studied for generations to come and were, because this is why Bach was so interested in them and they're still studied to these, this day, but also gives a rather strict structure of a composition that sounds as if it isn't a strict structure. There should even be a sense that there are no measures, that there is no bar line with actual um, measurable beats in 3, 4, 4, 4, whatever. It should have a free flow to the melodic ideas and the, 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 the decorations, as I said. This makes this music extremely difficult to play. It is really hard stuff and therefore a great challenge for any musician to tackle any of the keyboard works of Frescobaldi. And it is why it has enamored so many people. However, complete recordings of the various books are rather few and far between. So it's nice to find this particular recording performed by harpsichordist Luisa Alvini. She performs on a period harpsichord, an anonymous uh, 17th century instrument that is one of the nicest sounding harpsichords I've ever heard. It's robust in its sound. It's, it's melodious. It has a singing quality, yet still manages to maintain a delicacy in sound. But it's like a full-bodied wine. It's rich in its musical flavor. And I hope you really enjoy this recording and the performances 
of these 12 toccata from book one. Let's listen now to these toccatas of Frescobaldi.
Toccate d'intavolatura di cimbalo, libro primo, or Toccata's intavolature form. That's kind of weird because any publication I've seen of it is not intavolature, it's regular notation. Anyhow, 12 Toccatas by Girolamo Frescobaldi, published as Book One in 1615, and very popular from then on, especially for those who wanted to study compositional methods for keyboard. We heard them performed by harpsichordist Luisa Alvini. A gorgeous disc, lovely sumptuous sound, and hope you agree with me that this is great music to listen to when it's dark outside. Let's put it this way. It's good music to listen to when you feel like you need to be contemplative. You're alone. It's quiet. It's also nice to listen to when it's kind of gray and snowing outside just like it is while I'm putting together this podcast. And talking about podcasts, I would now like to remind you that you are in Dave's Music Room. I'm David Kavlovic, pleased as always to have your company. I hope you are sharing a nice cup of tea with somebody. I know I am. I'm sharing it well right now with myself, but the pot of tea is warm enough so that my wife can pour herself some if she feels like it herself. We're great tea drinkers in this house. I would like to hear from you at some point in time. I have heard from many of you and I do uh, enjoy listening or reading your comments. Please send me an email at kapustadave at yahoo.ca. You can find that email address embedded in all the bump that uh, comes when you open up the app that you use to access this podcast. Now, we'll move to a different genre, different era of time, um, sort of a different era of time. We are covering a period of about, a, I don't know, 150 years from the mid-classical period to the uh, late romantic, uh, early modernist period of the 20th century. We are going to be listening to some lovely chamber music from France, written for uh, the combination of flute, viola, and harp, which is a nice combination, I must say. Recording issued back in the mid-80s on Vanguard Classics, which was a great label, uh, especially uh, from North America, of North American musicians, most particularly, though not exclusively. Great American label that specialized in great classical music, as well as in the uh, folk and um, folk rock uh, elements of American music in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Everything from Country Joe and the Fish to Buffy St. Marie. Also the label of Peter Schickley and his PDQ Bach excursions, which are still fun to listen to. This particular disc features a trio that existed in the New York era area at the time of the early mid-80s called the Orpheus Trio. And it consisted of three prominent New York area, area again, there I go again, musicians, flutist Paula Robison, violist Scott Nekrenz, and harpist Heidi Lewalder. They released this, what I consider a short disc of only about 45 minutes, but this was the LP era. So a, a shortish, medium long disc of some great chamber music, starting with an arrangement by the harpist Carlos Salzedo of Maurice Ravel's Sonatine for Piano, which he composed between 1903 and 1905. 
This is a particularly lovely transcription for flute, viola, and harp, and by deft hand, because Salzedo was not only a virtuoso harpist, he was a pianist as well. So he has that ear, and he's really able to um, transpose the solo writing of a piano over three different instruments. It's just, just a lovely arrangement, so I hope you enjoy it. The sonatine is in three movements, Madere, Mouvement de Menuet, and Anime. I hope you enjoy this wonderful transcription by Carlos Salzedo of Maurice Ravel's Sonatine, so therefore it is properly titled Sonatine en Trio.
the Orpheus Trio, flute Paula Robeson, viola Scott McCrenz, harp Heidi Lewalder, performed Sonatine en Trio, Carlos Salzedo's arrangement for that instrumental group of Maurice Ravel's Piano Sonatine. Lovely transcription. I think it's a gorgeous work. It was and is as a piano composition, but I really do like it in this transcription. Kind of fleshes out the sound a bit more, if you ask me. Now we shall reduce forces by harpist and listen to something composed for flute and viola, although potentially it could be for violin and viola because the flute and violin share the same compass in range. But it was composed by a late 18th century flutist and teacher and composer, François Devienne, who was active in and around Paris from about the 1750s until just after the 1800s. He composed six duos known as Duo Consultant for flute and viola and published them as Opus 5 around, I think it was 1786. Lovely works, if not profound. Who says they need to be profound to be lovely to listen to? Not everything needs to be profound. Leave them alone. Anyhow, it's a lovely composition in two sections. We will listen to it now, performed by Paula Robeson Flute and Scott Nicrans Viola.
Francois Devien's Duo Concertant Number no. 3 for flute and viola from his Opus 5. We heard flutist Paula Robison and violist Scott McCrins. Now, a couple of solos. One for harp, the other for flute. Sorry, viola, you gotta sit this one out. There really isn't very much solo viola repertoire from the 18th and 19th century, if at all. What a joke. See what I did there? Anyhow, the first solo we're going to hear is a composition by Gabriel Fauré for harp, an impromptu given the opus number of 86. Very popular amongst harpists. Canadians of a certain age, <coughs> myself, might recall that this particular piece was used as the opening theme for a chamber music show that was on CBC Stereo back in the day in the 70s, 80s, I think early 90s as well. No, I don't think it went that long. But anyhow, definitely 70s and 80s. A show out of Montreal that used to be on Monday to Fridays at 3 o'clock featuring chamber music called Montreal Après Midi. So hopefully you have a little bit of a nostalgic kick listening to this and you'll get to hear the whole thing actually. So here is Gabriel Fauré's Impromptu for Harp Solo, Opus 86, performed by harpist Heidi Leywalder.
Harp Impromptu, Opus 86, by Gabriel Foray, performed by harpist Heidi Lewalder. Now the flute solo, and a very important flute solo at that, one of the greatest works for any solo instrument ever. It's Claude Debussy's Syrinx, which was composed in 1913. For such a short work, it's just barely over two minutes, it has tremendous impact as a piece of music and is very important in flute repertoire. First of all, it was the first solo work for flute composed by any major composer since C.P.E. Bach from approximately 1747, from his uh, collection of flute solos, which is lovely. It's uh, composed really for the modern boom flute, which was developed in 1847, and as such, paved the way for other works for flute solo, including concerted works. So it's a very important piece. Apparently the work is commonly supposed to be performed off stage, as it is thought when uh, Debussy dedicated the piece to the flutist Louis Fleury, it was for him to play during the interval of either one of Debussy's ballets or as part of a performance of incidental music for the play Cique by Gabriel Moret. And the title of the work was originally Flute de Pan, but it was given its final name in reference to the myth of the amorous pursuit of the nymph Syrinx by the god Pan. And you'll hear a lot of that element in, uh, in this little but very charming and important flute composition. Here to play it is one of the greatest flutists of North America, from North America of the 20th and 21st century, Paula Robison.
Syrinks for Flute Solo by Claude Debussy, performed by Paula Robison. This compact work is neither extraneous in detail nor lacking in substance. It is really a perfect or near-perfect little gem. The final work we're going to hear from this recording of the Orpheus Trio, as they were known when the recording was made approximately 1980 for Vanguard Records, is another work by Claude Debussy. It's one of his three sonatas that he had composed towards the end of his life. In 1916, uh, during the uh, onslaught of the First World War that was ravaging France, Debussy planned to compose six sonatas for various groupings of instruments, very much in the model of uh, chamber music of the Baroque era. Unfortunately, because of ill health and also mental health issues, he was very depressed and Debussy did suffer from the ravages of cancer. By the time he died in 1918, he only completed three of the projected six. By the way, one of the ones that was projected that was not even started was work that would have included a harpsichord, one of the earliest compositions from the period when the harpsichord was being reintroduced into Western classical music. You may or may not know that it had fallen out of favor, but with the piano being the upstart taking over everything in uh, the salons of um, Europe and North America. Anyhow, the three sonatas that were completed, one was for cello, gorgeous work, the other for violin, also a gorgeous work, and this gorgeous work, the sonata for flute, viola, and harp. It's in three movements, pastoral, interlude, and finale. Let us now listen to the Orpheus Trio, flutist Paula Robison, violist Scott Nekrenz, and harpist Heidi Leywalder perform Claude Debussy's sonata for flute, viola, and harp.
That is a magical work in and of itself, and a nice conclusion to what I consider to be a very gentle program for this particular podcast. That was Claude Debussy's Sonata for Flute, Viola, and Harp. It was performed by the Orpheus Trio, at least when they existed around 1980, and they comprised of flutist Paula Robison, violist Scott McCrans, and harpist Heidi Laywalder. Well, that's the end of another podcast. As I say, hopefully one that leaves you in a rather gentle and contemplative frame of mind. As always, I do enjoy your company, even if it is totally electronic. Nevertheless, I know you're there, and I think you know I'm here. I'm always here. Sounds a bit like a complaint, but it's not. I enjoy being here. Anyhow, you have been a guest in Dave's Music Room. I'm David Kavlovic. Until next time, thank you for listening.